0: It is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Congratulations to everybody for making it to the end of the week. And uh, as, a, as a bonus, as a uh, as a special treat, I've got a great show for you today. Um, wouldn't have done it any other time except Friday. No, I'm just kidding. I do it every day. At least I hope you think I do it every day. Uh, today's show, lots to get to. Sarah McClellan, wild beat writer from the Star Tribune, will help us set up Game 6 tonight at XL Energy Center, 830 Uh, face off to start that one wild on the brink of elimination but also an opportunity they win tonight they force a game seven and uh, that that would be awfully awfully fun so we'll see where that goes Sarah and I will break down everything um, along the way that got them to this point which of course has involved a lot of poor special teams uh, especially penalty killing especially lately after they took that 2-1 series lead so Plenty to get to with Sarah here in a minute. We'll have some Twins stuff towards the end of the show. Some good news and some bad news in their 7-1 win over the Royals. And by the way, the AL Central, just terrible outside of the Twins this season. Looking like a bad division might have gotten worse in the offseason. Just take a spin through those standings at the end of the show as well. But my goodness, a lot of bad teams over there with the Twins. Um, Get to the Wolves here in a minute. They had their off-season kind of exit interviews on Thursday, some stuff to glean from comments that Tim Connolly, their uh, president of basketball operations, made. First, though, what did I miss? Got to start with the NFL draft, of course. Uh, Ben Gessling and Andrew Kramer did a full Access Vikings podcast after the first round Thursday, so go check that out as well. I just have a few thoughts here, and... I found the pick of, not just the pick of Jordan Addison. Let me back up. Uh, the wide, rec- wide receiver Jordan Addison out of USC picked 23rd overall. No real qualms with the pick itself. So let's start there. Um, you know, 5'11, 170, kind of a smaller receiver, but can play inside, can play outside. Looks like he brings a lot to the offense. I'll get to a Kevin O'Connell quote in a minute and kind of what he brings what dimensions he might bring to the Vikings offense on its face on its head they got a really good player they got a player that can help them next year and beyond so anytime you do that at 23 okay that's fine that's fine I I I like the pick in terms of who they got what I came away from the draft feeling was underwhelming I guess is the right word I called it fail on Twitter last night, maybe that was too strong. I think "fail" implies that they did maybe something wrong. I, I think I think the the failure uh, is is maybe too strong of a word. Underwhelming means that I don't think they accomplished as much or of as much of a magnitude as I hoped or thought based on some of their actions and some of the uh, some of the reporting. I don't think they accomplished enough in that first round based on what their needs are, what their posturing has been this offseason. And here's how I would explain that. I thought that, you know, based on what they've done, which the biggest thing that they've done this offseason, make no mistake, is not extending Kirk Cousins, that they put a put a time limit on his tenure or at least a tentative time limit on his tenure by not extending him, putting some void years at the end of his deal, essentially, making it so that they can get out of his contract After this season with no more guaranteed money to him, just a cap hit. So that to me said they had set in motion a certain clock where taking a quarterback in this year's draft made the most sense. Now, the way the board unfolded, it was hard right? The the quarterback they obviously seemed to like the most is Anthony Richardson. We had Ben Gessling mocking Richardson to the Vikings with a trade-up. I think he had him going like 11th after a trade-up. You saw a lot of late Anthony Richardson steam, the quarterback from Florida. He ends up going number four overall, moving up to four from where they were almost impossible, unless you're going to give up a lot of future draft capital, like multiple future first-round picks probably to go all the way up to number four. So, Anthony Richardson almost immediately out of their reach uh because because he got picked by the Colts. So so right right off the bat, you know that's not going to happen. That said, they get, they now get into a position where they're down to 23 Will Levis and Hendon Hooker are both there. Now, I think we can assume based on what they did um, Levis, the quarterback out of Kentucky, Hooker, the quarterback out of Tennessee. I think we can assume by what they did that they did not love either of those quarterbacks, or at least not as a number twenty-three overall pick. Levis fell, fell, fell um, in the draft. Was projected to be, you know, as high as in the top five. He kept falling, kept tumbling. Hooker was kind of the wild card, a draft riser, someone who got mocked to the Vikings a lot at twenty-three but just did not end up being that guy for them. And I get it. I think what they're trying to do at quarterback is make sure they get their guy. Because like I talked about last week with Nate Tice when he was on the podcast, there's nothing worse than having a quarterback in here, a rookie contract, if that quarterback can't play, right? It's the ultimate, you know, you get enticed by the idea of having a cheap quarterback, but, a cheap quarterback. but if that quarterback cannot play, if he's not any good, then you then you've really sunk your cost you you your opportunity cost as Nate put it is really diminished because that quarterback is going to be out there pretty much every single play and if he's not very good you are going to have a hard time winning so you can't just pick a quarterback to pick a quarterback so i get that what I was hoping they would be able to do, and again, this doesn't mean that they were able to do it or could have been able to do it because we saw how everything unfolded. It looked like they wanted to make a trade down at 23 and weren't able to execute it. What I wanted them to be able to do at 23 if they couldn't grab a quarterback or you know or do a big trade up is I wanted them to be able to move down because they only have five picks this year. They only have a certain amount of draft capital, and they certainly have a big need. They weren't able to do that, so they just stayed at 23, took a wide receiver, and again, that's fine. I I think at the end of the day, we can say this draft was fine, but I think we can also say it was underwhelming based on what they did. And Part of this is what I talked about yesterday. When you set yourself up with expectations, when you create expectations with your actions, it can then be judged a different way if if we had not heard all of this quarterback talk if we had not if they had done the like the cousins extension a month ago and just added a year or two to his deal like they always do then this draft might have been viewed a different way when you start talking about quarterbacks when you start making actions that suggest you are going to be bold and then the draft ends up being kind of just what you would have done anyway then it becomes underwhelming. Not a failure, not a success necessarily, but underwhelming. Now, the player himself looks like he can help this team a lot. Jordan Addison, I like that they went wide receiver. It definitely helps them in the short term and the long term, so I'm not quibbling with the pick little nervous that it was the fourth consecutive out of four wide receivers taken in this draft in 2021, 20, But if they have conviction in this player, which it sounds like they do, then I guess I can get on board with that. And here is head coach Kevin O'Connell on kind of the role that someone like someone like Jordan Edison can play and needs to play in their offense. Um, and, and I
1: think he's very well aware uh, you know, of, of, of how we plan to use him, how he fits with Justin and KJ. Uh, Jalen and Jalen and the rest of our receiver room, but also, you know, TJ and, and, and our ability to activate the rest of our tight ends and our backs in the passing game. It truly gives you uh, a pretty versatile skill set. And now, you know, that adding that impact player, like I said, at, at such a priority position uh, for how we like to move the football and, 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 and kind of put it all together. It's a, it's a big deal for us. Any receiver uh, that plays uh, in our offense, regardless of personnel group that you're in the game with Justin Jefferson, uh, for us to have the ability to move him around um, and then activate you versus some of the premier coverage looks you can get with how people defend Justin, um, I think this player uh, gives us a, a chance to do a lot of different things and then pair him uh, you know, with KJ, uh, possibly working against single coverage and, and, and working away from some of that overloaded looks that Justin t- tends to see we want to make people pay for that regardless of how we do that um, at what level the defense what we're attempting to accomplish you know within that play
0: now in a separate breath O'Connell certainly complimented Adam Thielen said you know when you lose a great receiver like Thielen you've got to do something to replace him That said, it sounds like what he thinks Jordan Addison can do in this offense, maybe Adam Thielen could no longer do in this offense, and maybe that opens some more things up for Justin Jefferson, makes them more dynamic in that space. So, That, to me, will be interesting to watch in 2023. What I don't know is who is going to be throwing the football to any of these guys in 2024. That is the mystery I thought they might solve on on Thursday night, and that is the mystery they have not solved yet, and I feel like that's going to back them into a corner at some point here. They're going to have to make a decision on Cousins before next year's draft, so what do they do between now and then to address that? If they don't, how do they get themselves out of that box? And that, to me, was why this draft was ultimately underwhelming. Speaking of underwhelming but not surprising, Wolves had their season-ending news conferences on Thursday. Everybody met with the media, including President of Basketball Operations Tim Connolly. He said a few different things kind of about the future of the roster but definitely made it sound like they don't have huge off-season changes in mind. Here was a quote from him, and I'll play one a little bit later. I think we really, really like our starting five. We think we can compete with any team in the Western Conference, uh, aside, even though they didn't this year, and how we continue to complement that group and augment that group is going to be a challenge we have this offseason, but we think those five guys are pretty exciting and pretty fun to build around. Obviously, those five guys being Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, and Mike Conley Jr. Now... That to me is interesting. It's not surprising. It's also probably it's it's what he would say if he had confidence in the starting five. It's also what he would say if they were planning bigger changes, right? You don't want to box yourself into a corner. You don't want to telegraph to everybody in the whole wide world that you are intending to make changes because that ends up making you a desperate trade partner and not a kind of co- covert casual leverage having trade partner. So I'm not completely sold yet that they aren't going to do something this off season, but Connolly's quote does set themselves up. So that to set themselves up for running it back more or less trying to see if this too big lineup can work. I think that's a mistake. I think this is the off season to trade Carl Anthony towns. I think you recoup assets. You reshape this roster around Anthony Edwards. And Oh, by the way, Connolly also said that is a priority this off season. Let's run that audio right now.
2: I think it was great. I think yeah, obviously i you know, career numbers. I thought he was fantastic in the playoffs. I think pretty much every decision we're going to make moving forward is going to be um, with, with Ant, Paramount. Um, so I think the the key with we're tasked with developing you know, I think the best 21-year-old in the world who's a, as you guys know, a great, great kid who wants it, who's so competitive, who's work at this off the charts, is we want him to, as he grows, we want him to see winning. We want him to be around winners. So I think it's great when you see a guy like Mike Connolly and the veteran leadership he, he gives to. Um, and, um, I think too often in our league, um, the development coincides with losing, and we feel pretty strongly that the best way to learn to win is to win early and to win often. Um, but it's certainly it's a challenge to ensure that we're doing any and everything to make sure he's developing, not just individually, but the team's developing at a level that we think we can get to, uh, and that'll be the challenge this offseason.
0: So my big takeaway, I agree that they got to build around Ant. I don't agree that the best way to build around Ant is with this too big lineup. And I will believe it when I see it that they really do intend to run it back after a disappointing season this last year. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to
2: end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M, so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards
0: along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be joined right now by Wild Beat writer Sarah McClellan, who has... You know, Ben uh, Ben here for the the good, the bad, and the ugly in this playoff series, wild down three to two heading into Friday's pivotal, must win. Well, sometimes we say it and we don't mean it, but must win game six at XL Energy Center. And uh Sarah Wild fans, I regret to inform you that in the time it took me to introduce Sarah, uh Dallas has already scored two power play goals and they're down two nothing in this game.
3: <laughs> they have been very efficient. They have been very efficient with their power plays.
0: Uh, we, we might as well get to that subject right away. We're gonna to get to some other I got some some lineup questions as best we can ask them and answer them. but the power play and the penalty kill has has again told the story of this series. you know we, we go back to last year when St Louis outscored the wild I think eight to four on the power play and that told a, a decent part of that series as well. That series was also 2-1 wild before it, it turned in another direction for St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken. So some some similarities there that I'm sure that they would love to reverse in, in Game 6. Part of it is not taking penalties. Part of it is there's been some a few bad calls, especially Felino penalties in Game 4, but the penalties have been fairly even. I think it's like 22-20 to 20 in terms of power play chances, and Dallas is just cashing in. How do they get better? Do they have any answers to, to this penalty kill right now?
3: It's no surprise really though, that special teams are deciding the series. It, it just seems like it's always the case can playoff time because you have the best of the best that are left competing and any little advantage that a team can get and cap plays on. It really just kind of sets these teams apart. And and we're seeing that really ultimately determine this series so far, clearly going into game six, um, you know, for, for the wilds penalty kill, like you mentioned, a lot of it has been, you know, quick set plays, kind of off face offs, winning the draw, getting the puck back, getting it on net. They've been very efficient in scoring in a number of situations. Um, but it's it's really become a factor. And for the wild, you know Philip Gustafson, the goaltender, said they've looked at the video. There's a few adjustments to make. But I think for them, you know, this was a unit that did Make a lot of strides in season this this was a p- penalty kill that struggled last season. It was a big focus to try to improve. Um, they finished top 10 in the regular season. I think what we're seeing now, though, is obviously the circumstances, the stakes are different. Everything's amplified and intensified in the playoffs. But then they're also being tasked and put on the ice in just such critical moments. You think of these momentum swings, some of the penalties that you mentioned are being called against them, uh, against Marcus Felino, you know, whether it was early in game five or you know, late in, in game four in the third period. I mean, these are the pressure packed moments that, you know, emotions get added on just, you know, the swing of the games, the, the intensity of the crowd. So it, it's not like the, you know, the penalty kill is is, you know, Lost maybe everything that they did right in the regular season, but it's just it's different. And they, you know, they're they're being put in situations, again, where the team's physicality is getting punished, they're getting penalized for the way they want to play. And I think it's just yeah, it's just standing up and, and kind of turning the tide in those moments, they just haven't been able to to do it well enough. Uh, so far in this series, you know, again, look at Tyler Sagan for, for four power play goals. Um, you know, he's become obviously key in the series. He's right around the net. Um, he's capitalizing. That's obviously something to maybe look at. Uh, but again, on the flip side, like you said, it's it's been pretty even close in the chances doled out. One team's taking advantage and the other one isn't. And that's the other issue in this series is the power play.
0: Yeah, I mean the power play has been, I mean, four for twenty is twenty percent. It's not terrible, but you know, it's it's basically close to average, but it stands in it pales in comparison to what Dallas has been able to do as they as they kind of talk about this, whether it's publicly or 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 privately, do you think they feel like this is as much an issue of personnel and obviously missing Joel eriksson Eck for all but 19 seconds of this series and him not being on any of the penalty kills when he's been you know one of their one of their bigger special teams players this year on on both the power play and the penalty kill and uh, you know to a second secondary degree mason shaw was was killing a lot of penalties for them towards the end of the regular season too do you i i don't i'm not giving them a pass on this this should all, not all be about two people who are hurt but how much do you think that factors into what we've seen
3: what they're looking at movement and and getting pucks through and obviously you know they're saying dallas is getting in front of a lot of shots so they are looking definitely at the tactics of what they can control their setup uh, what they can do to make um you know their looks more challenging against dallas's structure but obviously to goaltender jake ottinger but to me it it is very clear um, and very obvious that the facets of this series that the wild are currently struggling with the most the penalty kill, the power play, and face-offs are all areas of the game that Joel Eriksson thrives at. That he is that is his mo, yes. right? He is this team's best face-off option. He is this team's net front screen on the power play, and he is obviously a top penalty killer for this team. Um, that's what he was doing, obviously, when he was injured. Uh, earlier this month in April blocking a shot. So, you know, getting in, yeah, getting in front of Pox, plugging up lanes, just being someone that is tough to score against the Wild when he's on the ice. Um, Like you said, you can't change what's happened. It is what it is. Their lineup is what their lineup is. Who's available to them is who's available to them. But the reality is this isn't the Wild at full strength. The, the, The Wild hasn't been able to, consistently deploy their best lineup in this series with him sidelined. But again, you know, the personnel that they do have, there are instances of them making a difference. Look back to game one and those key penalty kills late in overtime, the desperation that they had, uh, you know, those, those were crunch time moments and they delivered on the road, you know, in front of, in front of an energetic crowd in Dallas, um, so there is, you know, there is some examples that they can point to, uh, you know, Kaprizov, Kirill Kaprizov scoring on the power play in game one, um, a slick deflection. That's what it's going to take. It's it's not always the tic-tac-toe goals this time of year. It's getting in front of the net, uh, misdirecting pucks um, to throw off the anticipation of these goaltenders. So there's definitely room to improve. The wild aren't at full strength. They don't have one of their best players on the ice. That's all fair. Um, but you know, it's a winner go home situation for game six. So who is out there? Obviously the onus is on them to figure it out.
0: Indeed. And, you know, I'll get to Kaprizov question in a minute, but you kind of referenced Eric Sinek doesn't sound like he's done much skating since leaving, you know, leaving that game with, you know, really early on. And he, that was kind of a you know, a a moment where the where the series definitely, you know, definitely took a turn. They gave Zucarello and Hartman maintenance days on on Thursday. I guess it's kinda nice they had two off days instead of one. Maybe anybody dealing with some lingering stuff or just needing to get off their legs for a day could could catch a break there. Um, you know, assuming those guys play, and that's not a given, but just kind of looking at what the lines might look like, what they what they put out there in in, in practice on on Thursday, maybe some changes, although as we were joking before we started recording, in a couple of these games, it hasn't mattered because they've had to rearrange their lines almost immediately when Felino went out, when Eriksson Ek went out. So sometimes what you start with doesn't matter. It's what you finish with. Um, to that end, though, maybe Johansson on a line with uh, Kaprizov and trying to get them those two going, and, and especially since Johansson's been pretty dangerous this series.
3: It looked like they obviously could potentially be a duo that's united for game six. They skated together in practice. Um, But obviously like you mentioned, some key, some key players were not on the ice due to those maintenance days. We'll see if, if anything changes. I think that's something the coaching staff obviously has been discussing. That's something that's at their disposal, right? Just to change the lineups, change the lineup up, change maybe some of the forward combinations. This team is coming off getting shut out. Um, you know, so it totally has the back-to-the-drawing-board type of feel and in a desperate situation, too. Um, Joe Hanson, I, I, I think, with Kaprizov could be intriguing because he is, you know, has been around the puck a lot in this series. He obviously gets looks on the power play, too, so there's probably some familiarity there with them being on the same unit. Uh, but he, he has gotten chances. Um, you think back to some of the looks he's had um, earlier in the series, breakaway, um, and he has that experience, too, being in this type of situation. He's been on long playoff runs before. Um, obviously, we're used to seeing him next to Matt Boldy, but maybe that's some type of change that the Wild utilizes. I think, too, Felino coming back after getting ejected, he has been very involved in this series. Obviously, he's been penalized um, for his physicality, but he's been involved. And you look back to Game 4, um, you know, a very strong game plan for the Wild. They played really well their execution just wasn't there and he had um, some of those really quality looks and tight the breakaway he had against Ottinger the initial save and then he got on the rebound too as a try um, so you know his impact too he's been around the puck um, so we'll see how they change it up. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised because like I said, that's that's a tool that the coaching staff has to try to impact the series, try to change some momentum to the lineup, especially after a shutout. It's clear Jake Ottinger has been locked in. Um, you know, they, they have scored against him. They, you know, early in the series, I think three goals against Jake Ottinger. That's not too shabby right. um, considering what his numbers are and what they were in the regular season. You know, in some situations, you think three goals against Andre, you probably win that game. Um, so, so they have been able to get to um, get to the net, but it's the timely situations. It's those breakaways in Game Four, right? It's when yeah. you're trying to get that icebreaker, that momentum turning goal. It's it's late in the third, the goalie's pulled in Game Four, and he just completely shuts the door. So, he's been very sharp. Obviously, key to Dallas's success so far in this series. But again, I think it's just, it's the scrambles. It's the unpredictability. I think that's what the Wilds offense is missing and why, you know, they're coming off a shutout. What can they do to make it more difficult for him to see pucks?
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Ottinger on the other side. I believe the last time I talked to you was after game one, which Gustafson made 51 saves double overtime win and I basically said there's no way I dismissed even the notion that they would go to Flurry or said, you know, I know they've rotated goalies during the year, but this is this has got to be Gustafson's net. And I think we kind of agreed on that. And then Flurry played and it wasn't great. I'm coming back to you again, Sarah. This can't possibly be Flurry in game six, right?
3: Well, we will see. You know, they they've said they're not really gonna Tell us their lineup decisions. Um, You know, Gustafson, both were on the ice, him and Flurry, at practice Thursday. We'll see. We kind of obviously can tell who comes off the ice first, especially at morning skates. So maybe that'll be the telltale sign ahead of game six. But I think Gustafson has been steady in this series. Um, You know, like I said, with with Dallas's power play dominating, um, that's where a lot of their production has come, more than half their goals. So those are tough Situations, And, um, you know, I think, too, you look back to, to game five, only one of those goals came on that lengthy five minute power play early on after Foligno was ejected. Um, so, I, you know, I think he he's obviously keeping this team steady at five on five. Um, again, you know, though. The story, I think, of this series is special teams again. And it's really that posture in front of the net. It's the penalties. It's the power play at the other end not being able to take advantage as much as Dallas is. And obviously the the role that Ottinger's played in that and thwarting the wild offense. But to me, that just is the tale of the wild situation right now. It, it, It really hasn't been about the goaltender lately it's it's been about staying out of the penalty box um the penalty kill and the power play and and you know if, if the series so far is any indication that probably will still apply in game six can they stay out of the box can they capitalize on their chances whether it is you know with the man advantage in a power play situation or simply at five on five because again they're getting the looks at five on five they're essentially outplaying the stars at five on five it just hasn't been a five on five series um, so we'll see you know, if they can turn the corner in that regard in the series. Obviously, their season depends on it. Um, but again, it's no surprise. Playoffs are, are just a different vibe. It's more intense. The, it's pressure-packed all game long. And so any little advantage, power play, penalty kill, any momentum swing, teams just feed on it. And the teams that usually are the best at feasting on that they're usually the ones playing in June.
0: And that, you know, brings me to another couple of things before we let you go. I mean, do they have to change something? I mean, aside from killing penalties better, you don't want to get tentative or or I hope they don't start, you know, playing scared or, or afraid to, you know, to be physical, but knowing how the series is being called, knowing how impactful these power plays have been for Dallas, do they have to adjust in some way that they haven't been able to do yet?
3: I think they have to be mindful, but I also think they can't reinvent themselves at this stage of the game. You are who you are, right? And the wild are gritty, they're tough, they're physical, they're hard to play against. That's what got them here. And it's probably, you know, if they are to win and move in, and, and get this to a game seven, that's probably what's going to help them get there. Um, so I, I think it's just being mindful though. There, I, I'm sure the calls that have gone against them, you know, some of the questionable ones, especially that's got to be in the back of their mind. So do they think now, is this a hit that could put me or the team in a tough situation? I'm sure that could go through their mind, but they have to play their style. And when they've been able to get to that style and stay out of the penalty box, I think it's been effective against Dallas. I think that that can really take a toll on a team. Um, You know, you look at, I think back to game four and, you know, we've kind of talked about that really was a game they played well. They didn't execute, obviously they lose that game, but you would have thought too, that was going to be Dallas's desperation push, right? Going down 2 one to avoid a three-one. And it, it stood out to me in that game, thinking back now that, you know, how in control the wild looked and it just kind of looked like Dallas was just maybe kind of, waiting which is smart too now in hindsight right like they were opportunistic they just waited for their chances and they took advantage and they won three two kind of just like textbook okay very savvy very veteran totally but like the wild was really you know in control and um you know if, if they can get back to that game i just feel like that can really be effective in a situation now where Dallas isn't in a must win the wild are so you know if if this isn't Dallas's best and most desperate sure you know they have the chance to close it out and maybe get some days of rest if they win before they would move on but if the wild can really get to their identity um, but be mindful of the of the circumstances that are out of their control the way this this series and these playoffs are being called I still think they have to stick to who they are. It's what got them here. It's probably their best ticket forward, too.
0: Well, those are good points, and especially just the idea of Dallas being the more desperate team in game four. And it's, it kind of strikes me that, you know, the series has, you know, as you might expect, the most of the games have been won by the team that was probably the most desperate, right? The Wild, in order to have a chance in this series, needs to steal one somewhere on the road, and they get that in game one. Dallas has got to win game two. They do that. Wild comes back home they're like we can't go we can't give up home ice right away that we earned back so they go 2-1 Stars are thinking well we can't go down 3-1 going back home we got to win this one then they got to think well game 5 we got to keep our home ice we can't go to Minnesota with a chance to lose so it does stand to reason that if this series is kind of following that momentum that this will be the Wild's turn that said it's not going to be their turn if they don't get more than one goal combined from uh, Kaprizov and Boly which they've gotten for these 5 games I don't know if if it's what Dallas is doing to them to a certain degree, and I, I think there is some some line matching that will be on Minnesota's side this time since they have the last change. But we talked a little bit about getting Kaprizov going with Johansson, but they got to get Boldy going too. That your best players have to be better at this time of year.
3: It's been very unusual to see Kaprizov not kind of take over and just you know be someone who isn't leading. The offense in this series for either team. Um, you know, obviously, we know that he's getting attention. I mean, think back to Game One and the cross checks he was taking from yeah. Ryan Suter. Um, You you know that they know who he is and his caliber. Um, you know, he's getting shots. He's getting chances. Uh, but, you know, the timing now to really turn in a statement game, obviously, in a desperate situation, it really is an opportunity for their best players to be their best players and have, a you know, a game where they have the impact that the Stars best players have had, you know, Tyler Sagan, Rupe Hints, and the impact they've had a lot of that is due to special teams, but Special teams aren't so special if you don't know, take advantage. And they are. So the 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 opportunity is going to be there. We know that. But I, I think, Judy, the point you just made, which sounds so true, you know, desperation, so much of this is emotion. And it is. And it's, it's taking advantage of that extra little X factor that maybe isn't there on a Tuesday in December in the middle of the season, of the regular season, right? So I expect to, you know, you can look back to games three and four, the intensity of the crowd being at home, a place they're very familiar with a place. They've had a lot of success this season. The setup is there for the wild to really have an opportunity to even this series, send it back to game seven and who knows, right? Who knows in game sevens, what can happen. But final thought, this does still feel
0: like a franchise and in a kind of a, a, a group that maybe has its best days ahead of them. That said, lost in 7 2 years ago lost in 6 last year i feel like we got to learn we're going to learn something about this team and kind of the direction they're headed kind of what what to expect kind of of this core if if they come in, in and win this game in a certain way i think that'll teach us something and if they don't i think that might teach us something as well is that fair given kind of the the microcosm the extremely small sample size of the playoffs do you think
3: i think so i think this is a crossroads because a lot of the players on this team went through those experiences and they've made a lot about how they've learned from the past and how they have to be different. I mean, we saw this team really shape and determine its style and its game plan ultimately for this season based off last season's um, loss in the playoffs. They really did the opposite uh, of what last season's team was about. So you're right. They persevered in the past. They got it to a game seven against Vegas, obviously lost in six last season to St. Louis. So I think this is going to be a very telling moment for this franchise, especially because a lot of these players are still under contract we kind of see now the core of this team and where it's at. Um, I think the outcome of this season of, you know, the series game six probably will do a lot to decide where the wild needs to move forward. We've seen obviously what hasn't worked um, you know, where they've already tried to adjust, but if this is again, another stumbling block for the team, what do they do to fix that? What does general manager Bill Guerin and his staff do to try to adjust um, so yeah, this is going to be, I think a really telling moment for this organization, uh, especially, like I said, because a lot of the players who've been through the past are still here and they now have those experiences to draw on in this year.
0: And I would say Garen is someone who's got patience, but also does not always like to stand pat when he sees a problem, he will go fix that problem and he'll address it. And he did that at the deadline by getting more scoring. He's done that when he said, you know what, Suter and Parisi, the time is done. Let, let's go do something else. Like he he is a he is a person of action, so I think he'll be watching this game pretty closely as well. We all will follow Sarah's coverage, Start Tribune and StartTribune.com. Sarah, thanks as always. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Sarah and I talked plenty about Kirill CapriSoff, but I did not realize until reading it in her Friday piece that this is the longest drought of his career. Four games without a point. It's pretty impressive that he'd never gone. Four games in his wild career before this without a point, but a bad time, obviously, for the longest dry spell in his career. We will see if he is able to break that string tonight. Um, I have confidence he probably will. Should be helped by having last line change. Shouldn't be shadowed by some of these better checking players from Dallas. We'll see if they can extend it to a Game 7. I got a feeling they will but I also, like I've talked about the other day with Chips Goggins, I also feel like if things go bad early, that building, the mood in that building, there's going to be some tension. There's going to be some kind of shifting in chairs. That becomes palpable. Don't know if it makes it all the way down to the players, but sometimes I feel like it does. So watch for that game early, momentum early, getting a first goal would be huge, even if they even if they didn't end up leading the whole game, getting an early lead, kind of breaking that seal. That would be a big deal in this game. We'll see if they were able to do it. Let's finish with the cooler. Twins, 7-1 winners over the Royals. Big home run from Byron Buxton. Carlos Correa hit a home run, too. Starting pitcher Tyler Malley, though, exits the game after four innings. They're calling it discomfort in the elbow. Here is Rocco Baldelli talking about that after the game. Because really, when we noticed it, it was pretty close, the inning was, you know, pretty close to being over, and then it ended, and we grabbed him, um, and he was feeling some soreness in his posterior elbow, which is more like the the back of the elbow, like the tricep area, uh, where it meets the elbow. So um, he was okay. When when I told him I preferred to take him out of this ball game, he didn't fight me on it. I think he knew that it was the right decision, and we got him out, and then we went to the bullpen. So it's it's. Uh, it's obviously not what you're hoping to see, but it's not something that we think is a you know, long-term issue, that's something that we're going to have to deal with. We're going to have to sort it out over the next couple of days to see how he's uh, coming back and, um, and how he looks. The trainers and, and Dr. Camp will get a good look at him. Now we will see indeed if it's anything serious um, with the twins. I'm always kind of on guard and especially with an elbow and a pitcher. We'll see how that goes, but they, you know, they, they were looking, they were trending to be fairly healthy, at least in the pitching side. And then obviously Kenta Maeda is going to need to be, to miss some time. He had a rough start the other day against the Yankees and now Tyler Malley. So 40% of the opening day rotation. Now suddenly some health questions, You know, the 60% that is still healthy and chugging along is the best 60%. Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, and Joe Ryan. But watching the pitching depth, I know they got some in the minors, Bailey Ober, um, you know, guys like Louis Varland, they've got some depth. They've got some guys who can step in if they need to, and maybe Malley doesn't even miss a start. But I'm watching that right now. You don't want to use so much depth so early, and that to me is a is a concern because this is the part of the team that has been carrying the Twins to this point this season. That'll do it for me today. That should do it for me for the week. We'll see. Maybe a bonus episode off the Wild Game tonight if it warrants it. Otherwise, Royce and I will be back on Monday to break it all down. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. I'm Michael Rand. We'll see you later.